This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. I am in my hometown, the town of my birth, Orlando, Florida, for this week's episode of the podcast. I imagine you can figure out why I might be here because all of my family lives here in Central Florida. And so as I was thinking about how I wanted this, you know, over years and years of doing this podcast now, we started in 2017, never done a podcast with a brewer in Orlando. So this is my very first one. And uh, I'm excited. We're at Broken Strings Brewery in uh, downtown on Church Street, Orlando, and Charles Frizzell is joining me for the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Charles. Thanks for having me, Jamie. I remember Church Street well because Church Street was a big, I mean, it was a big thing in Orlando, especially when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a, a punk club for a while, Club Space Fish, uh, just down the road here. Now it's Nightshades Nightclub or something along yeah. those lines. And I, I would go see sh- shows there. It's famous now uh, for a Gigi Allen show that happened there that got the whole place shut down and i you know there's um there's a shepherd smith clip of him when he was a local newscaster reporting from outside the club space fish Ooh. i was not at that show i was not a gg allen fan i'm still not a gg allen okay. fan but uh but i did see some fantastic bands there back in the day we are right down the road and of course since that time they've built a and a soccer stadium for the orlando city soccer team we're about you know a thousand feet away from that right now. Yep. You uh, were one of the first breweries moved down in this area, and uh, you know it's kind of um, we tasted some of your beer earlier this year. You sent in uh, some stouts for our stout issue, and they're living on a Doge pastry stout scored a ninety three. Um, that got me thinking. Hey, maybe we should come down here and have a conversation about brewing. Walked in the tap room. You've got racks of vinyl for sale on one side, and are leaning heavily into the music theme. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So I can't wait to talk to you about uh, how you brew interesting craft beers for a crowd that varies from game day to having to come down here as a destination brewery because you have a little bit of both and you kind of span both of those audiences. Before we talk about that, what if you could chill your beer with a more efficient chiller? The answer, G&D Chiller's new micro-channel condensers. G&D's micro-channel condensers are highly efficient in hotter regions, use a fraction of the refrigerant over traditional chillers, which provides less opportunity for leaks and lower global warming potential. G&D Chiller's engineers are committed to green technology design, developing a more energy-efficient chiller for the brewing industry. Contact G&D Chillers today at gdchillers.com. Also, support for this episode comes from BSG Craft Brewing, announcing a cool new product offering, T45 lupulin-enriched hop pellets. More efficient than T90s, T45 hop pellets contain a higher concentration of aromatic oils and bittering resins, with a reduced level of polyphenols and plant material. This means a big, delicious hop flavor with fewer pounds per barrel, creating a more cost-efficient and sustainable beer production thanks to reduced wort losses. Supplies are limited. Secure your order today at go.bsgcraft.com T-45. Charles, talk to me about uh, your background in brewing as we normally do here on the podcast. I'm curious how you caught the bug and uh, you know how you decided then to go from a passion for brewing or a passion for beer into operating a brewery. And there's a, there's a bit of a family lineage at play here too, isn't there? Uh, there is slightly. Uh, my grandfather was a brewer uh, for 
about 30, a little over 30 years in Puerto Rico. He got his uh, degree in brewing in New York on uh, the mid 40s after his time in the military. Uh, he was actually stationed here in Orlando. We came to found out at one point really? at the uh, Air Force Base, which is now our airport. Um, so it's always cool to see those connections come through. But uh, so there was always I never got to meet him. He passed before I was born. Yeah. But there was always that you know, your grandfather brew beer. And, um, you know, living in Florida, I've always worked in the hospitality industry, the food and beverage side of things. It's a pretty big part of the Florida economy. It is. Um, so, you know, I've always been around and I've always been interested in the spirits and learning what's the difference between whiskey and bourbon and all that at, at, sure. a, at a pretty young age. Not that I was drinking at a young age, but, you know, when I was in the industry and yeah. needed to learn this stuff to be better at my job, I just... You know, I was I, I gravitated to it. It was fun to learn about that stuff and be knowledgeable about it and the, the history and the nuances of, of, of all that stuff. And um, so I've been grinding and, and working in the hospitality industry for years and um, decided to go back to school to finish my degree that I had started out of high school, um, about two-thirds full way of getting my bachelor's degree. And we have a really cool program down here, the Rosen College, which is part of UCF, that right. provides a hospitality management degree, one of the best in the country. Sure, sure. And I figured, well, if I'm going to go to school for anything, might as well go for something I'm already very familiar with. And uh, went there, and one of the classes that was offered was a beer course. And you would go to class two days out of the week, and the professor would teach you about all the different styles, the history, how beer was made. You would drink three or four sure, different styles sure. of beer that day, the, the theme of the day's class, you know, the styles of the day. And then if you wanted to, you could stay after class and he would teach you how to homebrew in the lab. Right. And he, he was really knowledgeable. He didn't just tell you what to do. He told Who's you. Who's the professor? Uh, his name Edward Meesum. Okay. okay. Um, it's a funny story, but that class out of UCF is now being taught by uh, Jonathan Judy, okay. who has taken over for, for him. And, I knew Jay since elementary school oh, wow. up at Domrick Elementary here, and uh, I've actually sat in and, and you know been it's, a guest in his class. I've heard it's since not then. as it's it's a mixed mode course now, yeah. so instead of going two days a week, you only have to go to one. So the interactive and sometimes the you have to sit through a session with me on Zoom. Yeah. you know it's, it's not yeah. nearly as good as it used to be. Um, but he does; they do still homebrew and uh, yeah. teach students on. Well, when they, he had he had to have a club formed. I ended up becoming the president, so yeah. someone student related was involved and cool. so I, the first semester was all about learning from him and the next semester it was about teaching the new group of students right went out and bought a homebrew kit uh started brewing in my my apartment across from campus and i think the first beer i brewed was a um i was brewing a corona uh a, clone, a corona clone because <laughs> um, my grandfather brewed for a brewery in puerto rico it was called corona um so you know just caught that bug started sure, brewing more sure. and more uh graduated Ended up getting a job with uh, Expedia here doing uh, group convention sales type stuff. And after a year or so of being, you know, in the top sales and having the single day sales and commission record, they wanted to close my department down and, and essentially demote me. So I kind of had my corporate sales sure. deflated. Sure. And I was like, I think it's time to start really focusing on that brewery thing. And, uh, we didn't have really any breweries. There were maybe three in the entire central Florida area at the right. time, Orlando brewing, a uh, small little hourglass at the time. They were sure, on, a, sure. I think a one barrel system at that time and uh, big river down on uh, Epcot down behind Epcot. Right. right. And um, so I was like, I, I, the best way for me to learn something is to immerse myself in it. 
And so I went and applied to Big River, got hired as a server, but I became really good friends with their brewer at the time, Kent Wall, who had come from Colorado and worked at, I believe, I believe he's worked at, uh, I want to say Left Hand, um, Boulder Beer. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, so, you know, he had the knowledge. He had been working there for a few beer years right. on their 10-barrel system. And uh, what I was trying to gap was my knowledge of home brewing and how to scale that up. Sure, the differences sure. in recipe and the, the, the processes, you know, how do you, how do you clean a tank? How do you fill a tank? Yeah. How do you carbonate the beer in a bright tank? Um, all that stuff. And he was, you know, I told him a little about myself. He knew my history, my grandfather and my interest. And he was gung ho, basically took me under his wing. And, uh, you know, on the weekends I would check gravities and stuff for him or close yeah. a valve on a tank or drop the temperature <laughs> sure, if he needed. Sure. I did all the tours for him yeah. for the guests coming through, you know, cause it's, it's Disney people, sure, people sure. love that extra kind of attention. So that was my gig for almost a little over maybe two years, I think. Yeah. And, uh, at that point the business plan was finalized. I had met some business partners and at that point we were looking for, the, the money side of things, either bank or investment. And um, I started working, uh, left Yard House, because Kent actually left Yard House as well to open Crooked Can in Winter Garden. And um, I ended up going to open the Yard House on I Drive. So you left Big River to open yeah. the Yard House. Yeah. It's a little closer to home. Sure. And Big River has such a small staff. Getting a day off for work was very hard. Right. Finding someone right. to cover your shift. Yard house that were we had like 125 servers, <laughs> yeah. And they hired me. I was like the beer, the resident beer guy. On sure, you know that everyone came to me when a table had questions about beer. Right, right. And uh, I met my good friend Bill Downs from Claremont Brewing or Sun Creek Brewing. He's gonna hate me for saying that the first part, not getting it right. <laughs> um, from Sun Creek Brewing, we're still friends. We spent Thanksgiving together, you know. So, um, but uh, they that job gave me the ability to be if I needed to take a day off. Um, to meet with the city, the planning department, my architects, my engineers, and all that. To be able to do that and have the flexibility while still bringing in an income. Sure. And because um, my other business partners at the time, they had full-time jobs. They, they couldn't really do that. So right. I kind of made, I became the person that was on the ground getting everything done to get the brewery open. So yeah, um, I guess I'm trying and Then you to conceived of this idea. Yeah, yeah we, to we, open Broken Spring. I uh, found this, we, found, uh, we found this location on Craigslist. <laughs> um, you know, we, we, hey. we tried, you know, which we, we tried having realtors find us places and it, they, they never really found something that a was, or was in our budget or what we needed for the brewing side of things or what we envisioned a brewery would look like. And so sometimes we would just drive around randomly through areas we thought were, sure, had potential right. to them. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes I would just randomly, you know, go through Craigslist and we found this. Um, we knew how close it was going to be to the potential site of the soccer stadium, how close it is to the Citrus Camping World Stadium. We used to call it Citrus Bowl. Most of us still do. Oh, yeah. It's still the Citrus Bowl to me. Yeah. And, um, you know, how close we were sandwiched in between those two ventures, yeah. venues and the potential that could have for business for us. And um, the access to utilities, the space was, a, you know, old auto shop type thing. So the roll-up doors were here. We had access to the electricity we needed. You know, everything kind of came together, and, sure. and and the price was kind of within our budget. So we pulled the trigger on that. And, and you're right here, literally this close to the soccer stadium, uh, you know, yeah. Orlando, and now is an MLS soccer yeah, and team. And and just and, a, yeah. a couple more blocks down is the Amway Center where the Magic play. Sure. The local hockey team plays concerts all the time. 
and we so we see people from there come and visit. So it's it's you know we're right close to the two main highways of Orlando I four and four hundred eight. So getting here is really easy. Sure. I want to talk to you about beer because then figuring out, I mean, you have a location and this location feels in some ways a little bit like Wynwood, Miami. There's not necessarily, you know, an inbuilt neighborhood that just, you know, people walk by and come to the brewery. It's, it's a place you have to come to generally speaking, either for a game day or for a concert at, at one of the stadiums, or, you know, you or have to want to come here specifically just to get the beer. And that's interestingly informed the way that you brew and what you choose to brew because you have to balance these people that just show up on game day. And also yeah. how do I get people to the brewery and it's not game day. Uh, and I, you know, as we were talking before the podcast, I thought it was really interesting to think about what you brew in those two different and complementary ways. Let's talk about that. But before that, a brewery might have 99 problems, but your fruit supplier shouldn't be one. Old Orchard is already known for their quality concentrates, but they also pride themselves on consistent product and reliable supply. When brewers need assistance, Old Orchard is just an email, phone call, or even a text away. Based in Greater Grand Rapids, Michigan, better known as Beer City USA, Old Orchard is core to the brewing community. To join their fruit family, learn more at www.oldorchard.com brewer. Also, are you ready to brew like a pro? Pro Brew has the equipment, systems, and technology to take your brewery production to the next level. Check out www.probrew.com for pro carb inline carbonation technology, pro fill rotary filling and seaming can fillers, the Alchemator inline alcohol separation system, seven to 50 barrel brew houses, and more. Pro Brew offers the craft beer industry innovative solutions to help you brew like a pro. Go to www.probrew.com for more info. We'll definitely talk a little bit more about your grandfather because I love this fascinating story that goes back to uh, larger scale commercial brewing in Puerto Rico. We were looking at some pictures earlier of the old brewery from the 50s, um, and it's just a, a wonderful thing to see how things have changed, but also, you know, there's still chalkboards with uh, with tanks drawn on them, and they're still tracking you know, the production the same way that brewers are still are today yeah. tracking that production. We'll talk about that a little bit, but I, sure. I really do want to, to think about, um, you know, obviously the beers that you've sent to the magazine for review are definitely flavor forward. They're, um, they're rather intense. Some are a little bit sweet, even though they're balanced, you know, but there's definitely this kind of bigness to it. In Florida, that is something that the entire state of Florida is known for. That, yeah. Uh, probably one of the few states that'll drink stouts in the middle of the summer. It's Yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah, but but this entire state has focused on intense flavor in beer in a way that well, it doesn't necessarily happen that way, in, you know, in, in every other place, um, you know. But but talk to me about as you know, as you started Broken Strings, how you thought about what the beer program was going to be, and then what, how you decided. And now you realized you needed to develop that as you started operating the brewery and seeing who yeah. came in here. Well, we opened almost six years ago before milkshake IPAs were a thing, before like you know kettle sours were still kind of like just being kind of kicked around and heard about pastry stouts all that stuff was i if you, you had asked me six years ago if i was going to be brewing milkshake ipas <laughs> soda inspired kettle sours i'd probably say like no your no, grandfather no. would be turning over yeah, in his grave not yeah but the, the the market didn't really it wasn't around then you know so you just focused on and brewing this you know Brewing the styles and being creative with the styles everyone knew of. So you, right. you did cool things with saisons and, um, you know, stuff like that. And trying to brew beers that you haven't had a chance to brew before, but you had read about 
Sure, sure. Um, and you're still coming at it with uh, you know that core spirit of a home kind of, yeah. where so we, uh, yeah. I guess we kind of we towed two different lines. So we we want to be a very cool, innovative destination like brewery in Orlando that gets people to say, you know, that's you know from anywhere in the area that's the brewery we got to go visit this Saturday. They're releasing this cool new right you know, cherry cola sour or grape nerd sour or and we just did a uh, pumpkin spiced caramel coffee sour. Um, and then we do a lot of cool pastry stouts. We did a Twix inspired one, a cinnamon toast crunch inspired one. Um, so we release a lot of cool stuff like that. That's you know what the people are asking for. Um, and we noticed there aren't a lot of breweries that are, are are brewing those all the time. And so we have you know we brew we brew those cool creative innovative styles to make us that destination type brewery. Sure. Um, but then we also, because we are centered next to two, you know, sports stadiums that bring in huge crowds on any given, you know, home game or right, concert right. or whatever it may be, that a lot of those people walking through our doors are not necessarily craft beer fans. They may just drink lager all the time or not drink beer at all. You know, so we do have some wines and ciders and like stuff like that prepackaged from other places that, you know, for those people that we can, so we can have approachable options and still you know, make some, make, make some money that day from, sure. from those customers, but also getting them in the door. We have a great opportunity to let them try some of our other crazier stuff. So, you know, we still brew Kolsch, we brew a light lager, half of Eisen, you know, a traditional like Sierra Nevada inspired pale ale, right, right. you know, so those people are covered when they walk through the door too, when yeah. we have those huge days and we want to try and, you know, Try and make as many of the customers you're walk finding, through the door happy. You're trying happy. to connect people to beers, yeah. you know, and you're trying to connect beer people to beers, and you're trying to connect non-beer people to beers. And even so, yeah. it's nice having those traditional styles as well, because the people that do come in on the weekend to have a couple of the cool sours or something like right. that, they usually end up having a Kolsch or something as their last beer or whatever before sure, they sure. before they head out. Something that's even if they just, don't know what a Kolsch is, it yeah. still has flavors, beer flavors that are familiar to. Yeah, them. well, you know, yeah, when when yeah. someone asks for a beer flavored beer, that's one of our options. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So let's talk about some of these more hyper flavored beers, uh, you know, because I think that's something interesting. And and I love that we can that you were mentioning it without the typical brewer apology, because oftentimes when you say, oh, we brew this with this, this, there's this like sigh and this kind of resignation that we have to brew this because that's what people want. But that's not what I really want to brew. I brew whatever makes the whatever I can put whenever I can come into the tap room and people yeah. are like, bro. Or dude, whatever, Charles, this beer. Wow. Yeah. I, and, and whether it be a traditional beer or one of our crazy one off, you know, inspired beers, it that that the end of the day, that that that's what makes it worth it. Yeah. You know, and yeah. whatever, you know, whatever pays the bills too. You know, at the end of the day, we're, <laughs> sure, we're, we're still sure, a business. Sure. If I right, don't if right. I don't brew the styles that the brew what the customers want or will come here for, then I'm doing myself and my business partners a pretty big disservice. Sure. Sure. And there is something about a flavored, be- flavored beer that connects with people through some sense of nostalgia. Well, you know, we're, that, we're just yeah. kind of going through maybe a, a weird different kind of beer renaissance. You know, I mean, would we have lager if the Germans didn't decide to put beer in caves and that, that allowed the lager yeast to thrive and be almost singled out? And now we have lagers and all of those, you know, back then I'm sure that was blasphemy and gozas and, you know. That's true. Even the things that we consider longstanding beer traditions now are or once fairly new, new or once new things. I think lager is less than 400 years old. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. So 
Yeah. I mean, we didn't even know about yeast and, you know, until about, what, 150 yeah, And years I know ago. Every, like a lot of the stuff we're talking about, you know, are, are probably on the sweeter side of things. Sure. But that's that's... So all, we, that's what we all grew up But around, all of these fermented you know? beverages we, were also all on the sweet side for much of beer's history. And they got drier and they got more bitter, you know, but I mean, there was- ebb and flow. You, you know? think about it we'll for, back for to, thousands of years as people were making beer-based or, you know, grain-based fermented beverages, you know, calories were important. You wanted to consume yeah, them. It was you know? the only way to be able to consume liquids, or it that, was right. Without, you know, the you know, alcohol, getting dysentery. Sure, or, sure. But people weren't. I mean, sweet things were great because those. I mean, getting calories. Period was a harder thing to do. Anyway, nonetheless, you know, we. Yeah, we can, no, I don't apologize for brewing any of those. I think that's it's, great. It's all fun. Uh, I, I love both approaches, and I certainly respect and, and love talking to brewers. When I brew my Kolsch, I do my version of a to- decoction mash. Yeah. Um, you do. Sink. You do a small decoction mash on a three-barrel system back yeah, here. Yeah, luckily, well, I, I have um, the system we bought when we bought it used from a brewery that went out of business. It was kind of some bits and pieces of things. It's a it's a stout three-barrel mash tun. It's a stout three-barrel boil, boil kettle. But the gentleman was using basically like a big stock pot kettle, and he had his, um, or burner, and he has a 75-gallon. He had a 75 gallon stock pot that he was using for hot liquor. So yeah. he'd have to heat all that up for his hot liquor. Oh, I have tankless water heaters to make my day much easier and not have to wait on bringing water up when I get here. But now um, you can cook a decoction. But now I have a separate burner to where I can pull some of that mash off, right. bring it to a boil, bring it back, do that a few times. And, and I found from when I first started just doing regular mash, Kolsch's, you know, standard single infusion, that the Kolsch is much better now. The lager is much better now. And so I like being able to add those kind of, I guess, tools to my, or those options to my repertoire for, you know, things to, you know, make those less forgiving beers better tasting. And taking on that kind of work, especially when oh, you're yeah, brewing definitely adds. in a lager beer at a tiny, tiny scale, I mean, that's, that's noble. And, yeah. uh, you know, and I, you, you have to wonder, especially when you're doing it in three barrel batches, does a consumer notice Is it worth enough? it? Are they noticing it? I hope so. Yeah. But it's it's more for me than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you want to, just because you care about what that quality yeah. tastes, what yeah. that beer tastes like. Yeah. Because, I mean, I don't put on the menu triple decocted mash Kolsch. <laughs> I could. Right, and right. Maybe like, what, 5% of us would, maybe 5% of people walk through the maybe door, maybe less. even less yeah, would yeah. get it. So. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel it's worth it at the end of the day to do that. I mean, yeah. the, the people that... I you know follow or look for inspiration or or you know will read about or you know like Christopher Johnson's I've been to his brewery he built his uh, Green Bench sure, in St. Sure. Pete that beer brewery was built for decoction mash right I've, he's shown me the whole thing I and and so knowing how good their beers are on that side of you know all of his beers are great but his lagers pilsners are amazing. They're good. They are. They are. One of them was um, a beer of the year this past year for craft beer and brewing. The, correct. Yeah. Postcard so I mean, pills. if he, if, 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 if it's worth him spending that extra money and the time that it takes for him to brew a lager to do those decoction steps, then they're, they're, he's doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. And I, I wasn't expecting to hear that from you uh, in terms of a framework because I was expecting to talk about more flavorful beers. And I do want to talk about these. Of course. Of but, course. But coming at it from that perspective, understanding how you want to approach things in a right way and produce something with the kind of quality that people are going, other people are going to respect, but you're going to respect. That's uh, 
that's a nice approach. Let's talk about the cherry cola sour. I'm drinking sure. some of it right now. It's a big seller for you. Huge. And yeah. I mean, naturally, when any brewer yeah. says, Hey, I'm gonna pour for it, you my cherry cola sour, it's like, you know, the little hairs on the back of my yeah. neck stand up and like, I'm not sure what to expect so, about so that. So it kind of started as a joke, as most probably great beers do. Um, we were brewing, we wanted to brew a collab with our friends at Toll Road down the road in Okoe. And one of their one of the guys that works there, Dwayne, used to work for Coca-Cola. And we have this running joke that I hate the freestyle machines, um, the basically like copy machine of soda machines. They yeah. have like the cartridges that go in for all the syrups. Where you can add cherry or vanilla. Yeah, no matter wine, what, it tastes weird. It yeah. Fun fact on those, if you order like Coke and you add any fruit flavoring to them, you're not getting the Coke base. You're getting the Coke Zero base. If the machine ever runs out of Coke Zero, all of the flavors for Coke go away. And I've worked with those machines before. The only way to get the flavors to come back, and I asked the guy that comes out to work on the machine, I was like, are we drinking Coke Zero? We're drinking real Coke. So it's if you add vanilla, orange, cherry. That's to, where they put the, the sugar in Sprite. so it tastes yeah, so they again. So they use, less, they use the less sugar base, which is really weird to me. Um, so <laughs> Interesting. anyway, that's, huge running that's joke a level whenever, of hospitality yeah. insider that I wasn't. Yeah. yeah. So running joke, I hate the freestyle machines. The Coke just does not taste as good coming out of those. And I'm sure by sure. I grew up up north in New Jersey, raised by Pepsi, but I am now a Coke person since we've moved down south when I was 11. So that was a running joke. And because he worked for him, like, let's, and I, Cherry Cola is my go to. Like, I love Cherry Coke. Okay. Um, and, but I also like making it with um, regular Coke and adding maraschino cherry juice as opposed to like grenadine, which is pomegranate. Most people don't know that either. Mm. <clears throat> Most people think grenadine is just cherry juice or fruit. It's basically high fructose with some food coloring. Yeah. But true grenadine is made from pomegranates. But uh, maraschino cherries, the little bright red ones that come yeah. in that juice, you pour that in regular Coke, it's great. So I was like, that would probably make a really cool sour. Um, so let's do that. And we released it, and it was a huge hit. We released it in the middle of COVID, but people came and sold us out of it. And it... Um, We've been brewing it like I think every other month we try and release it almost or sometimes we'll wait a little longer to make people beg us a little more for it. <laughs> and then that led to more soda sours. Um, we've yeah. done Code Red Mountain Dew. Um, <laughs> oh, what's the Sam's version of Mountain Dew? I forget. It's like a berry version. Only Sam's Club carries it. Um, and then we've done, uh, you ever had ocean water at Sonic? No. It's basically Sprite with coconut. Okay. Like a coconut flavored Sprite. We've done that. I've done. Sounds like a Sonic thing. Done a talk, Dr. Pepper inspired version of Soda Sour. And they're, they're usually huge hits for us. People, people love them. Um, and I think, you know, they give you, most people don't like sours because they just don't like the sour aspect. But this kind of gives you a nice balance of like, like the, like a, a sweet and sour candy would. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, I want to, walk back and kind of pull it apart because sure. clearly you are trying to reverse engineer flavors and you're trying to rebuild those in beer that are proprietary that some of these folks are doing through their own ingredient process. If you're asking me how I get the cola flavor, I'd like to keep that um, to myself. You don't have to tell me, yeah, but I will, well, let's see what else we can dance around there. Before <laughs> we do that, this episode is brought to you by Mountain Rose Herbs, purveyors of the highest quality organic herbs, spices, and teas. Whether you want to add depth to your next golden triple with classic notes of cinnamon, pepper, and clove, or artfully layer exotic zesty grains of paradise into a perfect ale, 
Adding botanicals to your brewing is an easy way to customize a delicious flavor profile. Mountain Rose Herbs has been providing organic herbs and spices to chefs, herbalists, and dedicated brewers for more than three decades. Learn more at mountainroseherbs.com and get 10% off any and all orders with the code CRAFTBEER10. Also, as a brewery owner, you know how important it is to keep your machines running so you don't have to deal with the hassle caused by contamination, recalls, and downtime. Clarion makes food-grade lubricants to protect your equipment from the wear and tear that results in breakdowns that cut into your bottom line. Clarion gives you peace of mind so you can focus on what you do best, pouring out great-tasting beverages. Learn more at www.clarionlubricants.com. So, Charles, let's talk about this. You know, obviously... You know, and again, you don't have to share anything that's a proprietary course, secret there. Of course. But but I'm curious as you start thinking about those flavors, what your process looks like in kind of tearing it apart in your head and then thinking about how you rebuild that. That's a good question. Every beer is different. Yeah. Um, it's I guess it's depending what you're looking to get out of it, how difficult those flavors are. Um you know, obviously I want to try and use natural flavors as much as possible. Yeah. Um, we do use some extracts here and there, not by themselves, always in conjunction with, um, like for example, mango. Like yeah. It's really hard to get like mango flavor if you're just using mango fruit. Um, so it's nice to add a little bit of extract. Now, what does it taste like just as mango fruit? I it's just like, I don't, it's hard for me to explain sure. what, but mango isn't as potent of a fruit as say yeah. like a blueberry is or a right, strawberry right. or a passion fruit, for example, I can smell passion fruit a mile away. Yeah. Uh, but mango is very more of a subtle fruit. Um, so, you know, sometimes it, it, it's nice to, to layer those flavors. So, so it's not so much one dimensional. And we as consumers have ideas of some of these fruit flavors that are conditioned by the sweetened artificial, of course, or, you know, yeah. kind of, peaked uh you know uh, editions well, yeah. of those flavors well, fruits taste different when you remove the sugar right there it's a night and day difference that the sugar is part of a fruit's flavor and aroma you take that away and it, it, a strawberry will not smell or taste like a strawberry anymore um so if you were going to make a strawberry beer you ferment all the strawberry out all of that sugar from the strawberry is gone you're it's not going to taste as strawberry like as you may want right so and if you want to get some of that strawberry aroma back or flavor, you're, you're going to need to add something from my personal experience. Yeah. Yeah. How do you typically say, you know, blend that you know, working between something like an extract and the actual ingredient, whether that's a puree or a whole fruit? Well, the puree and the whole fruits are always first there. The, 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 any additional flavorings that are there to complement or boost up what we're looking for always come at the end. So I know if I need how much I'm thinking I may need, if any at all. Um, so most of those are added after the beer has matured or whatever it's done on those fruits or spices or, or whatnot. And then once it's gone to the bright tank, then I'll know where I need to be as far as adding those additional flavors. So it's um, a chef-like process where you get very there much. and I'm, then you make the game Yeah, take I take decision. notes and I have a general idea of, of where things are are going to be, but I come from that culinary background yeah. to where I like, I taste things as I go and I know where I need, what I may need to do to, to get to where I want to be. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I may decide to do something completely different or, you know, something else may come to mind. 
yeah, I try and keep a structure and consistency there, but things are always changing. The one batch of beer may come out different from another batch of beer. Sure. Not sure. over my Christmas tree decorations. <laughs> um, so it's, um, I guess it's so like you said, to... it's a very like chef like kind of way yeah, to approach yeah. it. It's not the same every time. I, you know, if if the beer tastes the same every time, we'll do the same thing every time. But yeah, um, are are there? You know, let's let's talk about something like a Mountain Dew beer. You know, again, how, like and that's a weird one because you're trying to create a your version of this. Yes, that connects to what people expect from that, but that also maybe doesn't quite taste as artificial as some of the kind of synthetic, you know, commercial yeah. soda additions. And so you have to echo that flavor, but also build a little more like tooth and reality to it. Uh, you know, again, where would you start on something like that? Hmm. You're, you're asking, you're trying to chip away at secrets. <laughs> there, there's definitely. I'm, um, I'm just curious. Well, I definitely I, I like think you do a really nice job with I'll, building these flavors. I'm I'll, just. I'll try yeah. the beverage before I'm making it. Yeah. I don't want to say I'm brewing something, or I'm not going to put a label on something and say it tastes like something unless it does. Yeah. Um, I'm very particular about that. If I'm going to say it tastes like a cherry cola sour, then when if if when you taste it, you don't go wow that then then I failed. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's, there's soda like extracts and syrups out there you can use and, right. um, or things, you know, Mountain Dew is a, a lemon lime soda with, I think, I don't know if there's melon involved, but I have always gotten like a melon, like I've always considered it like a, a melon citrus soda. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and for example, like. Coca-Cola is my favorite, but I've had other versions of colas, you know, like Caribbean colas. Uh, right. Red, Red Bull makes a cola that's really good. And the one of the things that I take when I drink that Red Bull cola is you can taste the lemon juice in it. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of everyday ingredients in those sodas that or those those some of those flavors we're looking for. They're just combined the right way. Obviously, I'm not using cocoa leaves from South America. <laughs> For my Coca-Cola. Sure, sure. My cola. It's not a Coca-Cola sour. It's just a cola it's a sour. cola right, sour. Right, And that's a very ambiguous term because cola is, I mean, there's been colas around for a very long time. Talk to me then about building, a, you know, and maybe we'll back up from the ingredient thing and talk about the beer itself, you know, um, you know because you're layering flavors onto a, a quote-unquote sour beer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, from what I've tasted, the acidity is pretty tightly controlled. It's not excessive. It's not something like, it's not a puckering sour. It's very much a tartness, but a very light tartness, even at that. It's not uh, yeah. an intense thing. Um, how do you build a kind of base recipe that can support some of this, uh, you know, flavorful approach? Um, I think the correct lacto, the, the way you use the lactobacillus or the souring bacteria you choose, um, the, the stranger using and how you use those. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've tried, sours from breweries that do not sour they just add back acids and then i've seen at a convention there's 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 pre-bottled acid blends that sure. you can add to your beer to make it sour but those you do it with winemakers blend you can do it with uh you know you know food grade lactic acid i i find that they're missing something um that there's just not that that aroma yeah and there's like um I've let people try my base sour before and they're like, oh, this kind of tastes like lemonade. 
It's got a nice citrus quality sure. to it. Maybe a hint of Cheerio, um, bready kind mm -hmm. of, you know, aroma. Um, so I won't, I don't, I don't want to do the sours that way. And, and, and I'm, I'm still hesitant to try Philly sour. Yeah. I'm, I'm about to read a milk, milk, the milk, the funk podcast. I'm about to listen to, they have one yeah. on, on yeah. Philly sour. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm worried what I'm, yeah, I may drop the pH. Will it drop it low enough? Will it give me those other f flavors and aromas that I'm looking for in that base sour? Right. Um, I don't use my lacto more than three strains or three generations. Yeah. Though I use Omega blend from, um, Omega lacto blend. Yeah. Uh, I found it's, it's the most consistent and the best one I've used. Um, but I can't, it seems like anything after that's a blend of what a plantarum and brevis, I think. I believe so. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the way they, the, from what I understand from speaking to them, they, they chose the blend because one works better at the higher temperature. And then as it, it drops, as it's yeah. sitting, the other one kind of takes over and they both add their own kind of dimension to the sour. Right. Um, also different hop tolerances for, for those two strains. Yeah. Too. I mean, I don't add any hops or for IBUs, mm. uh, the, it, it gets a pre-acidification down yeah. to about 4.5, um, which helps with letting anything else kind of get active right. before the lactose. It gives the lacto kind of a head start. Yeah. Uh, every, anyone I've spoken to, and this all goes back, I, I guess I'm going to call out Christopher Johnson again. And I believe it was another brewer from, I think creature conference. It was, I believe the first Florida brewers guild conference. And one of the sessions was on kettle souring and I hadn't, on a sour at yeah. that point i think maybe it was our second year open and i and it, you know sours were still new it was just stuff sure, you would read sure. about and hear about and a couple people were doing them but you know and they kind of they they laid everything out like you know the temperatures the pre-acidification and um and stuff like that so between learning from them and and the research i did online and, and in books i i think we've come up with a pretty good sour base that does really well for us. Is there uh, anything to the recipe? I mean, it's fairly simple. It's mostly uh, Pilsner malt uh, with some oats and some white wheat. Oats? Yeah. Not just wheat? Not just wheat, yeah. yeah. Some white wheat and some uh, flaked oats, rolled oats. How much, uh, you know, generally speaking, roughly, you know, how much oats, how much wheat in that, uh, that overall mix? I think that's less than 20%. Yeah, sounds about right. Just enough to give um, help with, I think it helps, you know, it helps with mouthfeel, helps with head retention. Um, I get, I, we haven't had an issue with getting, when we have a good carbonation on the sours and a pour for them creating a head. Yeah. It doesn't always last forever, depending on the adjunct type ingredients we've added to the process. But right, right. for the most part, um, yeah, I just didn't want to do like a 100% Pilsner, you know, and, and everything I read, you know, adding a little bit of oats and stuff like that. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. kind of help some softening and support and Correct. adds a little, you know, kind of mid level to that too. So it's not just high level sweet, you know, yeah. kind of helps support some of that, especially as you're throwing flavors into it. It ferments out really well. I, I, I mainly only use Oh five. Yeah. USO five, 1056 American ale East. Yeah. So many names, <laughs> um, but you know, Chico. Yeah. So it's a very clean fermentation there after yeah. uh, after yeah, the and because we're small and getting liquid um, liquid yeast pitches to us sometimes is cost prohibitive. 
Yeah. I'm trying to talk Omega or someone into opening up a, a yeast lab in Florida. <laughs> sure. So sure. we don't have to pay so much in overnight shipping. Are you, uh, when you are going through that lactobacillus, uh, you know, acidification phase, are you doing it in the kettle then? And yeah, then my kettle's set up great for it. it. It has a lid that latches onto it. Yeah. Um, we run a hose out to a blow off tube, a fairly long hose because it does tend, um, the first kettle sour I did, I put the kettle under some pressure, but not enough. And it, 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 it buckled my little, the lid a little bit from sucking in. Yeah. So thankfully I didn't crush the whole thing like it can. And one of my local buddies, um, Travis, he was here one day and he's like, well, you've, your site class, you've have, uh, a triclamp feral type hole off in the very top of your kettle, put a, put a hose out of that and use that as like a, if, if it does start, it, it'll suck up some water, not itself. And, you know, usually I, after, you know, pitching, I'll come in the next day and there'll be the water that's risen up about two thirds of the hose, just enough to keep the tank from shrinking in on itself, yeah. but not enough that it's soaking up all that water and, you know, contaminating or whatever you want it may happen. And what I'll usually do, I'll just come in and I'll, I'll rouse it again from the bottom with more CO2, push push it back out, give it, you know, yeah. re, give it a nice mix. And that usually does the trick. Yeah. So then you boil after that. You Were you letting yeah. it go, what, 24 hours or? Um, usually at about 36 to 48. Okay. Yeah. I haven't figured out. I don't know what it, if it's, if I'm doing something, but after 24. You're in a three barrel system and you have time to let it sit for 48 hours. Yeah. God bless you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I usually plan for them to sure. be at the time where yeah. the f- most your Friday brew. All, yeah. Well, yeah. All the fermenters are full already. So I'm not needing. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, it can take a day or two to sit in there. Makes sense. I've thought about converting one of my fermenters to just a souring vessel. Yeah. Um, but not quite there. I, I'd, I'd rather, I'm, I'm looking at more getting a, like a, a 10 barrel system, keeping three of the fermenters for three barrel behind in a bright tank along with 10 barrel fermenters and being able to brew off a 10 barrel batch of a sour or a 10 barrel batch of a stout, fill it into three different fermenters and being able to treat each one of those a different way. Sure. Sure. Um, and then, but still have the capability of brewing 10 barrel batches of stuff. That's just going to be one thing on its own into a 10 barrel fermenter. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, in terms of building, crazy soda flavors what's the most interesting ingredient that you found yourself to and again i don't need all your secrets i'm just curious about one of the most interesting things you found that just made one of those so we did the cherry just put it over the top we did the cherry cola once and one of my regulars was like you should put chocolate in that yeah which i thought was like are you crazy like with there's already so much going on yeah so i humored him and we aged a six stole with some cocoa nibs and it sold out in like a day. Um, everyone loved it. <laughs> so it's just kind of, you know, right, right. Th- that I didn't think to do. So every now and then it is okay when someone like when one of your customers or regulars says, you know what you should do. I guess every now and then it's okay to listen, to yeah. take the advice. Sure. Sure. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else crazy. Are there, uh, yeah, are there places that you go to for, that you find produce better quality extract flavoring or, you know, some things that kind of hit notes better than others? You know, I bounce around. Um, I have a local provider here of fruit purees that provides um, a product out of France. 
that is really good. Um, some people hate them, but I use Amoretti for some stuff. Yeah, yeah. I always look for the discount code first. <laughs> um, so it's always sure, I sure. Usually make sure I save about fifteen percent off my order, yeah. uh, or I won't order. I'll wait a day or two. Yeah. Um, and you know, sometimes I find some stuff on Amazon. Um, depending on how fast I need it, you know, cause they, the Loran and the, the, the very, all kinds of, you know, sometimes they can get your stuff a lot quicker, Sure, sometimes cheaper. Um, and like, like I said, sometimes I, 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 the Caribbean or the Oriental grocery stores, I'll yeah. get stuff, uh, not necessarily extracts or stuff like that, but you know, just cool, unique fruits or ingredients like teas or something like yeah. that. Is there a beer where you've th- taken something like that, an ingredient that you found at one of those local grocery stores, and you found that you know you don't even need to so talk I, about it being I, there? I'm, but I'm it's trying to think. Top. I'm trying to think of something we've done from from those grocery stores. But one thing I've done: um, my wife used to buy the cotton candy grapes yeah. when they would come out on sure, sale. Sure. They only you can only get them once or twice a year. Yeah. Um, you used to only be able to find them at the grocery stores. So I would only be able to get enough to do like a 10-gallon, ba- a pilot batch. Yeah. Um, but then as they increase their vine acreage, um, I could start finding it at Costco to where I could buy 130 pounds worth, which is always a fun trip to Costco. Yeah, sure, sure. Everyone is looking at you and wondering why you have a, like eight of these big boxes of grapes. And usually I'm, I'm going to make a beer with it, which even confuses them more. Yeah. Um, but that's been a, a really popular beer for us because it's a unique ingredient in and of itself. It stands alone on its own. The fruit itself, I don't have to add it. I don't add a cotton candy extract or a grape extract. It does not need it. Really? Uh, it's a really cool fruit that, that uh, on its own. It, it's. And you I, take your normal? We take our sour base. and, and I, 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 we clean the grapes. So my wife usually comes and helps. That's that's um. That's her. That's her washing um, and destemming. Yeah, we wash and destem them, and then um, we uh, freeze dry or f- uh, we vacuum seal them. Yeah, uh, put them in a chest freezer um, as the beer's doing its thing. Because um, usually I'll get the grapes first. Someone will call one of my regulars. will send me a Facebook <laughs> message of a they're pic- here. They're at Costco. They're at Costco. Yeah, I have like an. Right, ar- right. I get these messages all the time. I have an army of people out here looking for ingredients when they see them. Yeah. And uh, so when the cotton candy grapes become available, the two times a year that they show up at stores, I'll usually someone will, and it, since they go fast, if I'm not busy, I will run, I will get in my van and go and pick up the grapes that, that day. Um, and then, you know, we, we process them and then I'll go ahead and brew the beer while they're freezing, uh, which does two couple things. It, it helps kill some of the bacteria that may present itself right. and it opens up crystals kind of sure you know breaks puncture, down the cell walls breaks down the cell walls exactly and so a day about a day or two before i'm ready to add the grapes i will pull them out of the chest freezer put them in the walk-in let them thaw and then i got one of those um wand blender to robo coop type yeah. things and i'll pure it up puree it all up as best i can and, and, and dump it in the tank and let it finish off and um Always, it's very popular beer for us, and I, I don't think many other breweries are, are are using that that ingredient for beer. So it's kind of something that I like to do that that's unique. Do you even strain? How do you yeah make I sure? I run it that through like a like a a stainless steel fills, strainer yeah. thing that pretty much gets most of it will all settle down, and the racking arm right. will allow me to pull it from above. 
Um, but I do run it through a filter. Cause you crash those to help drop stuff out? Oh, or, yeah, 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 yeah. But, I mean, it, it gets crashed before it goes into the bright tank. Right. Um, but most of, you know, the skins and all that tend to settle, the, the meat yeah. of the grape. You know, a couple seeds may still be floating around up in the top of the beer. So I, they, I do run it through, like, a mesh-type stainless steel cartridge filter that we have that i got from gw kent or something along those lines right now for something like that you mentioned that you're not hopping for bitterness but there's got to be some we don't hop for bitterness before the acidification but i do usually have an ibu i think of 20 to 40 on the sours depending on i think i I think i shoot for 20 so post-lacto you're you're yeah because we we, we do the the initial like 20 10 to 15 minute boil we do the original boil after the mash to sanitize the wort, um, bring it down the temperature, pre-acidify it, add the lactobacillate, seal it off, purge with CO2, um, let it sit for 36 to 48 hours, boil it off again for about an hour. So it for gets, one hour after Yeah, it that. gets about a 90-minute boil yeah. in total. Okay. Um, just separated between like an hour and, uh, and a 30. Sure. Um, and it's that boil, the second boil, that it gets right hops and i usually use the um the flex hop um bittering it's like an oil yeah um because it's very clean it's it's um um you know it's consistent throughout the whole so i'm i'm pretty confident i'm getting the ibus where i want them to right, be right and i get a better yield i'm not having to use and I, I don't need to use a lot of hops anyway for sure. a 20 ibu sour but i like using the flex on that product when you're brewing with three barrel system you want to get every little bit counts. every little bit out of that for yeah. sure yeah 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 and in that sense like these are beers that are going to be flavored in different kinds of ways and so the exact hop like having it the consi- hops aren't the show right no it's the, the hops are the bitterness that. is there just to provide balance yeah yeah um how much does that vary depend on what your depending on what your flavor goal is for that specific batch i mean i pretty much try and stick with 20 yeah um i I think um i think maybe the cotton candy i do 40 and probably when i'm 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 working on start doing some imperial sours we want i want to barrel age one of them Mm. do like a whiskey sour yeah so that'll probably be like more like an eight to ten percent so that'll probably get a little higher of an ibu yeah to balance out the bigness of the beer. Sure. Um, but it's most, I pretty much stick with 20 on, on most of all the kettle sours. Cool. Cool. Let's talk about stouts for a little bit because sure. uh, obviously that's, that's what knocked it out of the park with our judges. And, uh, I'm, I'm drinking a little bit of one right now with some, uh, uh vanilla in it and cocoa nibs. Cocoa nibs. Yes. Yeah. So that's hibernate, hibernating Mariah. Uh, it's a play on Mariah Carey how she comes back to uh, say hello to us every time the, the this time of year. It's true. It is this time of year. I, I'll admit it. It's probably one of my most favorite Christmas songs. I, you know, I connect that song with, um, my bartender hates it. It's I connected it with love actually, which is one of the worst movies that's ever been made in the history. I don't think of I've cinema. ever actually seen that movie. You're lucky. Yeah. And I my try wife, to stay my away wife from will watch it every year. And uh, we make sure that I am in a different room watching something else at the same time. Just, yeah. The funny thing, I'm a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan, and I've never seen The Notebook. Hmm. But I'm told it's about the Eagles are part, like he's an yeah. Eagles fan. But I'm not interested in watching hey, The Notebook. Hey. Well, let's talk about this. Um, you know, obviously using uh, big flavor, but also in a real way as a, you know, part of your approach to brewing stouts. Um yeah, and here we are in Florida where people will actually drink these sweeter flavored stouts year round. Yeah. Talk to me about how you go about constructing 
you know, flavor ideas, but then also getting quality flavor that hits what you expect out of those. The flavor ideas usually present themselves. I mean, it's usually um, watching watching TV or being out to eat somewhere or uh, eating something myself, like um, Twix, for example. Right. We've done a a Twix-inspired stout. We called it Caramel Shortbread Chocolate Cookie because we didn't want to call it Twix. (laughs) (laughs) For obvious reasons, we try to... We skirt the line on that some, but we try right, and right. make it to where I don't get in trouble. Was it based on left Twix or right Twix? Well, that's the funny thing. We made two different labels, and one of the labels is left, and the other says right <laughs> on it. And they're colored a little different. They're, they're shaded yeah, a little differently. So yeah. we, we played around with that, but you know, we didn't we didn't call it out specifically. Like right, it doesn't right. say Twix on the label. We just refer to the ingredients that sure, are used to sure. make up the Twix cookie bar. Um, you can steal other people's IP up to a point, but then uh, you want to avoid the legal of course, ramifications of, course. of that. Yeah. Um, but people get it. You know, when sure, they taste sure. it, they know what they're tasting. Right. They right. know what it is they're eating. Um, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Um, for the Cybernating Mariah, we didn't want to get anything too crazy. Um, we brewed it with Descent. Uh, it was a collab with Descent Brewing out of uh, St. Pete. Yeah. And they have a second location in Lakeland. Um, to where they came back here. They came here and we brewed a batch and I aged it in a Blanton's barrel. And then I went to their place and we brewed a batch and they aged it in a rum barrel. And we treated it with uh, cocoa nibs from a chocolate supplier in St. Pete. That's their neighbor. We used vanilla beans from the same source. And um, so it was kind of like basically a way to see like how different the beer would react with bourbon as opposed to rum. And kind of see how we would, how even though we brewed it the same way, essentially how just being different brewers, how it would come out. Talk to me about the fine points of adding these things. Um, so what know, I found... Because vanilla is an expensive ingredient. You want to get the most out of it, but you also want it to feel right. Of and course. not taste medicinal, which can also go to. Yeah. Um, there's big earthy components to vanilla. You know, vanilla beans, they, they've come... They aren't as bad in price as they were at one right. time. I know that there was, like the tsunami, tsunami came through right. and like, devastated right. a crop. And from what I understand, they've rebounded quite well. Sure. Um, and the price of it in general has led to more farming and other kinds of places. Of course. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I find there really is no good substitute other than just really good, fresh vanilla beans. Yeah. I mean, the, the flavor and the aroma you get off of them, you extracts help, but they don't mimic that. Right. Um, you know, luckily when the barrel, when the beer is sitting in a barrel, it's it's got time. I think this one spent a little over a year, year and maybe a month in a barrel, 13 months. So it had plenty of time to put like fifty vanilla beans in there. You know, did they go in at the start and they just sat in there? Uh, they didn't go in right away. I had I was waiting for some to put in an order and get. So they didn't they didn't spend the full thirteen months. I think they probably spent more like eight months. Still eight months, maybe a little of, less. Eight months of vanilla beans. Is a long um, and then the, the cocoa nibs I added. Uh, Was there anything to the way that you process that vanilla? Do you you know chop it up? Do you? Um, um, sanitize the way it I personally do it. Build I, your own I do chop extra. it up previously, like um, open to open up the bean, right. split it down the middle. Right. I'll usually chop it into maybe thirds, and I will pre I will put it in a like mason jar and give it a day or two with some bourbon on it. Right. right. Just enough so everything's covered, you know, because it'll be jam packed with beans, and yeah. just just yeah. enough bourbon in there so it can sit overnight with some alcohol. And give it one last kind of opportunity, and sometimes I use vodka depending on what I have sure, on hand sure. or, or what I'm looking for in the in the finished beer. Um, but if it was going in a in a Blanton's barrel, 
it soaked in Blanton's before it went. <laughs> the the beans did. Yeah. They soaked in Blanton's. It's nice to be able to have Blanton's to do that sure, with. Sure, for sure. Um, I have some connections, so it's nice to, you guys to are have bougie, those. bougie like that. Okay. Yeah. I like good bourbon. Hey, don't we all? Yeah. Um, so uh, what I have found with the bigger stouts like this, the pastry stouts, if you will, I mean, we're looking at, we're starting off with very high gravity, usually around 32 bricks-ish, give or take. And um, I'm using a yeast strain that is not going to attenuate the majority of that. It's going to leave me a, a beer with uh, a finished beer to 1050, 1055 final gravity. Really? So, I mean, that's the sweetness. Yeah. Um, what so I, this one is not USO5 then? No. Okay. I do not use USO5 on the, on the, on the big stouts. What do you use on the big stouts? Uh, well, on the pastry stouts, if you okay. will. Um, I use Conan. Oh. Conan usually yeah, yeah. the most, it usually at about 12%. Goes to sleep. Done. It's done its job. Yeah. Leaves me a nice final gravity to where I have a nice thick boy, if you will. <laughs> sure, um, sure. Which is what, which is what people what are people looking want. for. Right, right. Um, and I think we're doing a pretty good job of it. We've won a couple medals locally. We got a really good yeah. review from you guys. Um, you know, I think in Orlando, I think a lot of people think of us as I think we've kind of our niches are stout and sours. I would have to say. Yeah. I mean, because that's basically what we mostly release on, on weekly basis is if it's not a kettle sour. That's the thing that'll get people to this tap room when it's not a game day. Yes, it is. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. It works. Yeah. Um, but what I have found, back to your question about adding the flavors, these big stouts, you need to use a lot more than you would a smaller stout to overcome how big the beer is to start with. Yeah. Um, I've because your alcohol and your roast and your bitterness all are it. all there already. All of it. already if it's barrel aged or not barrel aged, any of these big high gravities that you started with, maybe big big sweetness to overcome. Um, I'll put in what I think is enough, and most of the time I have to go back and add more, or yeah. more cocoa nibs, or more vanilla, more uh, maybe vanilla extract if I have to. Um, because it takes or, or coconut, whatever ingredient we're doing sure, for that. Sure. And we do a German chocolate cake version that gets coconut. And the amount of coconut I would add to like a, uh, I've done a coconut brown before, or like a 7% stout. The amount of cocoa nibs I would add to a 7% stout as opposed to the pastry stout, it's, I think it's maybe like three times as much. Wow. Um, you just have to throw that much more at these big beers to get the flavor profile. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily just scale in a linear way. You definitely yeah. are moving in an exponential kind of fashion yeah. the bigger that it gets. You just there. have so much to overcome. As opposed to like, you know, the the, the 6% sours. You know, there's yeah. they're very clean bases to begin with. They're a little citrus, a little like you said, like almost like a lemonade quality to them, very citrusy. Um, but um it's very easy to get flavors into those. Right. Because you're not dealing with a big beer to begin with. Such an interesting concept thing. We were thinking about it, uh, talking to the Brado Pinta folks, uh, you know, about brewing a Grojiska, uh, you know, smoked wheat beer. And it's like, it's 100% smoked wheat malt. Like, that sounds like a crazy beer. But yeah, it's, if it's 2.5%, it's so little malt, yeah. period, versus the amount of liquid that's in, you know, that that it just doesn't come across. Like, you know, you're it's 
these small pieces there. And then, but it goes the exact other direction when you start getting into 12 plus percent beers where there's just so much, you know, that's in there that you have to overcome. For sure. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, What's, uh, what's your favorite special ingredient in a stout? What do you, you, or what's the most interesting special ingredient uh, that you found or was maybe surprising or, or caught you off guard or, worked in a way that was different than you might have expected it to? That's a good question. I mean, it's not that weird of an ingredient, but the one or two that I've put marshmallows in, the marshmallow just really gives it a nice... And I know marshmallow is essentially just vanilla. Yeah. But there's something else, marshmallow, hard to explain, that's there that kind of almost softens the beer. Yeah. like You can taste the pillowiness of the marshmallow sure. almost. sure. Um, how do you uh, how do you add marshmallow? Real marshmallows, but we we don't put them in as fluff. I almost melt them down into like into a liquid. Yeah. Oh, okay. Not almost to like a lot. Like I don't. Yeah. You could go buy fluff, but that's you're buying like eighty percent air. Right. Right. And then a little bit of a flavor extract to kind of help with the aroma. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was talking about this with uh, Marcus Baskerville of Weathered Souls uh, last year. Actually, okay. Maybe it was earlier this year. And his uh, he, his suggestion for marshmallow, marshmallow powder. I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marshmallow powder. Uh, Try that up. Try I've, I've I've heard of cream cheese powder as an yeah. option. I've been yeah. thinking about doing that. And then I hear people are using um, soft serve. Like oh, they'll go right. get the the, the powder that yeah. you mix with milk or whatever to yeah. make soft serve ice cream, and they're using that to yeah. put into beer. So yeah. It's a brave new I'm world. I'm sure there's probably something more unique than marshmallows I've put in a stout. I'm just, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm having a, a brain fart right It's now. a very different world from when your grandfather was yeah. brewing in the, I think the Puerto the, Rican the, Corona the, the, the brand. Mo, the most fun one I did was Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Yeah. That one tasted so good. <laughs> so good. What an interesting, you know, how far we've come from, you know, 1950 to now. Yeah. And, and you know, I think these trends are all cyclical. Yeah, you know, I'm sure if someone had, if there were craft breweries back then, someone would have made like an Ovaltine stout. I could see you that. Because that was a thing back then. Carnation, I mean, you're talking instant, about Carnation the, Instant Breakfast. You're talking about the Mad Men era. Like if they could find a way to sell yeah. any of this like dream of the future, yeah. they would have absolutely, yeah. like if there was any way to, to If do craft that. breweries existed back then, it would. I'm sure there would have been some crazy stuff back right. then. It just, their amount of stuff. Would it was have, just all went, controlled by a small yeah, handful yeah, of there, there, They didn't have Sour Patch Kids back then <laughs> like we do now. And have the ability to go on their website and order 40 to 50 pounds at a time of one flavor. Also, you yeah. know, an it's interest- almost like they want us to do it. Right. You know, there's also this kind of, you know, puritanist kind of, you know, or puritanical American, like, yeah. you know, we can't mix alcohol with these kinds of things going on in culture. And yeah. thankfully we're not in that place yeah. anymore. You know, I think, you know, when wine coolers and Zima and all that happened, the, 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 the gates are open. There you go. Any, <laughs> anything we can do it all now. So Charles, in the big picture, what uh, what's the goal for Broken Strings, and where do you see this going over the next couple of years? Um, well, we'd like to get a bigger brew system, and I have been kicking around the idea of opening a secondary tap room somewhere mm. in the area, right? Um, maybe somewhere closer to um, where the tourists are, right, right, um, and just having you know secondary space to reach a 
reach people that we were not e- able to get right now. A lot of people come to Orlando. And, they don't have a car. They, yeah. they take transportation to the theme parks. And so getting around, like, you know, getting I up can, to downtown I, Orlando is a little harder to I do. I can add more production here. Yeah. I can't really do much about my tap room space. Right. So right. I, I have, the only way to really be able to do that is to, to look at it, adding tap room space somewhere else. Sure, sure. What, uh, what does success look like for you? And when will you know you've achieved it? I mean, without being too cheeky, I, I kind of say I'm, I, it, I don't have I don't work for anybody anymore. I'm my own boss, and that's probably the greatest kind of freedom from all of this. Is yeah. I wake up every day, and when I come to work, it's the fruits of my labor are directly benefiting myself, and not a, a nameless or a sure. faceless entity that at right. the end of the day doesn't might not care about me. Um, so I, I, I'm happy. I'm probably, you know, I wake up every day and I get to come to my own brewery and do my own thing. And no one's forcing you to brew pastry sours, but yourself. No, no. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me on the podcast. G and D's micro channel condensers are highly efficient in hotter regions. T45 hot pellets contain a higher concentration of aromatic oils and bittering resins with a reduced level of polyphenols and plant material. Old Orchard pride themselves on consistent product and reliable supply. ProBrew has the equipment, systems, and technology to take your brewery production to the next level. Get 10% off your next order from Mountain Rose Herbs with code CRAFTBEER10. Charles, remember that discount code at Mountain Rose Herbs. I'm all about discount codes. CRAFTBEER10. And make your system 100% food safe with Clarion Lubricants. Of course, if you'd like to support this podcast, go to beerandbrewing.com. Click on the subscribe button. We bring you these great, uh, this great brewing content from some of the world's most inspiring brewers and our all-access subscriptions bundle the magazines with exclusive digital content and video classes you can't find anywhere else. Up right now, we just posted one from J.C. Hill at Alvarado Street on brewing hoppy beers with enzymes. It's not to be missed, and there's also some great courses out there uh, that we've put up recently with Vinny Chalurzo uh, and Taylor from Russian River. Uh, some really cool stuff out there. Check it all out. Go to beerandbrewing.com. Click on that subscribe button. Charles, if people want to learn more about Broken Strings and the creative Flavor Forward beers that you brew here, where do they find you all? Uh, Facebook, Instagram, brokenstringsbrewery.com. Probably the best places untapped if you're on there you can I, every time a beer's updated we have our menu updated on there help charles get to that 3.9 aggregate rating for yeah. the brewery you're right there we, it's right there between 3.89 and we, we, we go back and forth on it i keep hitting 3.9 and then you know we started when we first opened i think we we're at three point like seven nine three point eight and then you know just been I don't, you know, it. I don't put much into it, but it's something I pay attention to. Almost every day, I'll log into Untapped and toast almost every check-in. Wow, um, just just to keep an eye and on it's things. You doing it? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it hurts when you get like <laughs> when you see the one-star review. Sure, sure. I didn't like this IPA or this sour, and you know, it's too hoppy. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's a great amount of self-control being able to stop yourselves sure, from, from sure. commenting on stuff like that um, Do, doing it in the morning is a, is a smart thing yes. rather, rather than doing yeah. it in the evening once you've but, had a beer you know, every, you know i go through and i check the the untapped check-ins and just to, just to see how beers and sometimes you know you'll find you know you get a temperature yeah of what people are thinking of certain beers right, right. and maybe you didn't do something right and that you, you'll find out about it there yeah that makes a lot of sense well like i said pop on there 
See yeah. if we can get this to get a 3.9. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining me on the podcast, Charles. Cheers. Thank you for having us. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.